Today's sponsor is the Algernon Project. As many of our listeners are aware, misdiagnosis is an excruciatingly common part of the frontotemporal degeneration or FTD journey. The Algernon Project is on a mission to eradicate the misdiagnosis of individuals affected by FTD by utilizing a machine learning biotechnology to streamline the patient diagnosis journey. FTD is caused by brain atrophy, shrinkage in the brain where the cells die and the brain shrinks. Often this shrinkage is not extremely noticeable at first. As many as 80% receive a misdiagnosis within the first two years, even after a CT or MRI. This is where the Algernon Project steps in to help. Algernon technology lets the medical examiner know when the brain volume isn't where it should be, helping ensure that no case of FTD goes unnoticed just because the atrophy is hard to detect with the naked eye. To learn more and support this important project, follow the Algernon Project on LinkedIn and Instagram at the Algernon Project. Hi everyone, I'm Rachel and I'm Maria and we're the hosts of Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with dementia. We hope this episode helps you feel more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. Today, we have the pleasure of having our friend, Betsy, who is the CEO and founder of For Their Thoughts Foundation, talking to us today from sunny Southern California. Shout out, shout out California and Betsy. (laughs) Betsy, we are going to talk all about your mom, Mary, today. And can we just jump right in with What was the first thing you noticed that made you think something's not quite right with my mom? Like many other families, there's really almost two answers to that. There's the, when we really realized something was wrong. And then there's the hindsight Mm -hmm. of now that you know, something's wrong, you realize that you knew six months earlier. So I guess to mention the hindsight, it would have been July of 2007 I had graduated from college that year. So I was 23. My mom was 56 at the time. And she was taking me to Baltimore where my first job was to help me apartment shop. And my mom was the type of person that she's a walking GPS. She just knows where to go all the time. She takes charge. She reads the room. She knows when you need her to step up and she steps up. And on that trip, she just wasn't there. I just remember asking her questions. And for some reason, I was driving, which in retrospect was also a sign because my mom always drove, but she just was like, why don't you drive? And I'd ask her directions and she would say left instead of right. I'd ask her about an apartment and she would just be like, I don't know. What do you think? And she just didn't have a lot of input on anything at one point we got a flat tire 
and we're waiting for AAA for hours. And then I, during that, I also realized that she hadn't booked the hotel that she said she was going to book. And I just, while you're in Baltimore, you're like, yeah, I have a hotel reservation. Wow. Yes. Okay. And I, I just remember it was the first time I like broke down and actually yelled at my mom and I never yelled at my mom. And actually that moment I had guilt for, for many years after that, because I didn't know at the time I didn't know. When you were spending this time with her, did you ever think like to ask, Hey mom, why didn't you book the hotel? Why don't you have an input on these apartments? You know, I don't think I did. I think I asked her, you know, I would just repeat the questions over again because it didn't dawn on me that there was a reason why she wasn't doing it. I think she, I thought she just didn't care. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, that's a good question. But I don't think I ever really thought anything of it. Of course. Cause it always happens so suddenly, right? Like they're just kind of different and you're like, wait a minute. And you sometimes what we've heard in our story is like, people think it's them. Like maybe I'm acting a certain way and my loved one is, you know, defending themselves or whatever. So walk us through what happened next. So the next thing I think would be to fast forward until December. So December, 2007, it's Christmas, the whole family's home. And just to put some context on it, I'm one of five. So I'm fourth in line. And so that year I was 23. Like I said before, my little sister was still in college and my three older siblings, they were all in their twenties. There's only seven years between the five of us. Yes. Okay, Mary. Wow. wow. Let, let's give a huge shout out to Mary. I don't know how she kept her head above water. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Okay. Um, many people said that about her. So so Christmas comes and I think it became a moment that you couldn't deny it anymore because we were all together. Everybody's exchanging stories. My little sister commented on the fact that she overheard my mom giving reservations to dinner on the phone and she couldn't spell her last name. And one, you can always spell your last name. Two, our last name is Hall, H-A-L-L. I don't mean to laugh, but it's the delivery was very on point. Yeah. And my other sister walked in while my mom was making lasagna, which was our traditional Christmas Eve dinner, not because we're Italian, but because my mom had five children and she had other bleep to do on Christmas Eve. So a lasagna you can make ahead of time. But she's my mom staring at the lasagna like something's wrong. And Christina walks in and then she walks over to the stove and she leans over and she realizes my mom didn't put any noodles in the lasagna. Mm -hmm. She just layered sauce and cheese. Oh. Yeah. And so they laughed and just kind of cleaned everything up and started again. And then what really was the kicker was my brother saw on the dining room table the envelopes from, you know, when you're writing Christmas cards and you always make mess ups and you kind of have that discard pile. And my mom had rewritten her zip code three times. Mm -hmm. And we were like, you don't forget your zip code, Mm -hmm. especially when you lived in that house for 30 years. And so he showed it to all of us. We talked to my dad and my dad broke down and said that he had noticed things for a while But he's like, I don't know, maybe she was just getting sick of me or (laughs) maybe, you know, I just wanted to wait till you kids notice because maybe I was seeing things. Mm -hmm. Right. 
you know? And so then we kind of had this little family intervention and we showed my mom the letter and I'll never forget. My sister's the one who showed it to her and my mom just started crying because she knew she, and we found out later that we found her own nursing bag and she had been self-diagnosing herself for over a year. Mm. Because, and we knew, because, you know, when you print things off the internet at the URL with the date on the bottom, so we could see she was looking up symptoms of a stroke, signs of Alzheimer's and all these things. So she knew, so she didn't really fight it. She, she nodded her head and was, you know, with tears in her eyes and just kind of agreed, okay, let's go to the doctors. Let's, let's figure out what's going on. That breaks my heart that she, that she knew. That was the hard, I'll never forget when my brother found that bag and he showed it to us. I think all of us felt sick to her stomach because mm-hmm. how alone do you think she felt? And she just, my mom was the keystone of her family. So she right. just wasn't telling anybody. Oh yeah. She was like, I got to just figure this out on my own. I'm not going to bother any of the kids. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to That's such a mom. mother. It's such, <laughs> a, such a mom. Such a, yes, yes. Yeah. So what was the process like? you know, going to doctor's appointments, were you involved in that? Was she taking herself? How, where did you guys start? Yeah. So my dad did most of taking her to the doctors. I, at the time, my mom, my parents lived in Pittsburgh and I lived in Baltimore. And so I do remember my mom calling me after the doctors and it was crazy because someday she could call me and because of her nursing background, she would tell me in detail, Hey, I had a PET scan today. This is what they saw. These are the results. And she would just no hesitation, just keep going. And then other days she couldn't get a single sentence out when she was on the phone with me. So you'd have these kind of hopes of, you know what, mom, you're probably just stressed, you know, and you kind of hope that this isn't anything, but In general, everything kind of went pretty quickly. My dad actually said to me that the very first doctor, primary care physician actually brought up FTD. And he said to them, well, I hope this isn't it, but let's go ahead and just get your wife to a neurologist. Was he affiliated with some major hospital? Like how did this man, how did this doctor know? No. And honestly, that little tidbit. I didn't even know until about a year ago. My dad just nonchalantly said, Oh Don't yeah. Like when dads do that. <laughs> so I think it's yeah. a dad thing, right? It like, is. Oh, like, oh yeah. By the way, I here's this important this. piece of yeah. information. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause for the rest of us, I never heard of FTD and we were still on the stroke, you know, depression, all the other paths. And it was my sister that she was getting her master's in speech pathology. And she had just coincidentally just had a lecture on FTD and she brought it up with my brother and myself. And I was like, FT what? Yeah. (laughs) You know, the flowers. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Mom has flowers in her brain. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And so you, you know, you go to the Google doctor and you look it up and you're (sighs) like, holy shit. Yeah. And then your gut is like, (laughs) this cannot be it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it, it actually happened rather quickly that she was seeing a doctor and FTD came up. I mean, by April, we were breaking the news to my grandfather, her father, that this might be it. And then we got another punch that my grandfather's response was your grandmother showing the same symptoms. Wow. And, And so that kind of 
you know, and he hadn't been saying anything. And so then, you know, well, now the can of worms is open and we just coincidentally, I don't know if coincidentally is the right word, but maybe serendipitously, they, my uncle, his son, my mom's brother is a doctor in the Philadelphia area. So he was able to make some calls and get both my mom and my grandmother into UPenn. And this is 2000. Now we're in 2008. And 2006 is when a lot of the genetic genes had been discovered. Some weren't even discovered until 2011. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So it was relatively new, but they went through the lumbar testing. And so by then we already had, we were pretty confident that she had FTD. But beyond that, there wasn't a diagnosis yet. And there wasn't anything official until later that summer. And how was she progressing at this time? Like, you know, did you see a lot of behavioral symptoms? Like, it sounds like for your mom, it was like a lot of, Memory I don't know, stuff. like processing. So she had primary progressive aphasia. So she never really had the behavioral symptoms that a lot of FTD has. And in fact, my mother really stayed my mother, which I'm very grateful for the whole time. The hardest part was my mom's awareness. My mom knew exactly what was happening to her probably for the first two years. And I remember my dad and I used to say, we're like, we don't know what we want more to hold on to her or for this to hurry up and her get to the point that she's not lucid anymore. And she doesn't know what's happening because then she'll be at peace. So it was a lot of, to answer your question, it was a lot of communication at the beginning. She was very, very much language-based at the beginning. She could hide it a lot because she could just nod and read the room and respond one word answers, reading the room and reading kind of your inflections. But I'll never forget in that beginning stages, we were doing this speech test and we were writing some information down for it and she couldn't spell the word shampoo. And then I, I realized her writing looked like a kindergartner's writing. And, right. you know, she, we realized, oh, my God, mom can't read or write anymore. Can I ask, I'm like scared to ask, but I, I want to ask, what was her awareness of her mom's mm. disease? Because I can't imagine her going through that with herself and then having some understanding of what's going on with her mom, too. Did Was she aware enough of that? Yeah, that's actually a good question. and. They were both aware of the other person more than they were self-aware of themselves. So my sister got married in November the following year. So November, 2008. In fact, she moved the wedding forward once we found out all this was going on so that my mom could at least, you know, mentally be there. And I'll never forget, we used to put them in my grandmother and my mother in charge of watching each other because they both thought they were babysitting the other one. And my mom would look at my grandmother and go, nanny bad, bad, nanny bad, because she couldn't say full sentences anymore. And my grandmother had more of, I forget the words, but she, she slurred her words. She sounded like she had had a stroke. She just she was more aware, but she couldn't speak really at all. And she would just gargle, but she would point to my mother. And moving forward to another family holiday or family get together, I'll never forget they were leaving. And they just both burst out in tears. Like, 
uncontrollably like sobbing and hugging each other like they were never going to see each other again and hmm. and like neither of them could speak but they would not let go of each other and that had never wow. happened before and I really think that that was them both understanding what was happening but not being able to say anything hmm. wow it's the power of love mother daughter you can't fight it through yeah. the disease you even if you can't talk they still have that feeling of like you belong to me and I belong to you. You're mine. I birthed you. Yeah. Like there was this magical connection. It was mm. crazy. That's such a beautiful memory. Even though it's kind of a tough one, it's still really, oh, it's really sure. sweet. Mm-hmm. So did they sort of follow the same trajectory in terms of like progressing or was it your mom was younger, like how, what sort of walk us through kind of what happened after this? Yeah. So yes and no, they, my grandmother was 80. My mom was 56. And so my grandmother physically declined much faster. Mm -hmm. And in fact, within I'd say two years, they actually put my grandmother on a feeding tube because my, I mean, my grandpa and my nanny had been married for, I think, 65 years at that point. Uh, on a side note, they renewed their vows every five years and they did redid the wedding every 10 years. Wait. <laughs> yeah. So correction, they, it was their 60th wedding anniversary, about a year after my grandmother was diagnosed. And when they did the ceremony, my grandmother couldn't talk anymore. So I stood up there and read my grandmother's vows to my grandfather while they were on the altar. Yeah. Oh my God, it's like a movie. I know. I love my grandparents, but shout out to grandpa too. (laughs) That seems like a woman thing. Like let's renew our vows. Like let's redo the wedding. It's going to be, but good for him for going along with it. And he's like, absolutely. Like, I don't care that your grandmother can't talk. We're renewing our vows. So so sweet. So she, she declined physically faster. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why the feeding tube decision happened because all of a sudden overnight she couldn't swallow. But she was still, even though her speech was almost non-existent, you could see it in her eyes, how lucid she still was. And my grandfather, he just wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. And you have to make that decision right mm-hmm. then and there. Right. Well, as my mom's decline was more of the traditional trajectory. I mean, if you read up on PPA, it was like following the steps exactly of first losing your speech and ability to read and write but still being able to sing music was always still something for my mom. But then, you know, then you start to shuffle and you start to lose your footing and are afraid of your steps in front of you, your depth perception, all of that. And then shuffling becomes, you know, wheelchair becomes bedridden. So my mom took more of that kind of, and like food, it went from perfectly fine to chop it up small, to liquid, to thickening. Mm-hmm. And the same thing took them at the end that it was that ALS, FTD complexity that they just couldn't swallow anymore. Yeah. So, but my mom, her body was much stronger and it was probably because of her age. Mm -hmm. Right. How far apart was their passing? They were the same year. My mom passed away in March, 2013 and my grandmother passed away after my mom in November. 
Wow. So, and honestly, she lasted longer because she was on the feeding tube. Mm -hmm. And so that was giving her the nutrients. And when my mom kind of hit near the end, we, at that point, we decided quality over quantity, Mm -hmm. Right. you know? And so when the moment came that she couldn't swallow anymore, we just decided that. What a devastating journey for your whole family, both amazing grandma and mom. What was that like for you going through this? How long was this kind of span of the journey? Remind me. 2006 to 2013? Yeah. So from 2007 to 2013, about. So, yeah. So it was, you know, five years or so from beginning to end. And just a a quick note I want to say about the earlier time, just because I think that a lot of people resonate with this, is that while we were lucky that our diagnosis, lucky, I guess, I say loosely, that the diagnosis was quickly we didn't have the three years of like, oh my God, what is wrong that a lot of people have. My mom was diagnosed through a letter in the mail at the end of the day. The neurologist mailed my mom a five sentence letter that said, according to your lumbar puncture and from your symptoms, we believe you have primary progressive aphasia, which is a form of FTD. Please tell your family. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I actually like, I have the letter addressed to your mother addressed to my mother. This was the, this is it. This is how big it was. My God. That I, I see that it says best regards, right? Is that, did I see that? Best regards. Best regards. Take care. Thank you very much for coming to see me. Please share the results of the findings in this letter with your family. Best regards. Sincerely yours. And then the doctor's name. Holy words I don't say on the podcast I am so glad my mom actually never saw that letter because at that time I was living at home I was fortunate enough that I had a job that had offices in Pittsburgh and and Baltimore so they allowed me to transfer to Pittsburgh so I was back at home and we were waiting and I remember calling being like are the results in yet the results in yet so I was checking the mail every day and so you know but I expected at least a phone call as well. And this was it. This is how my mom got diagnosed with FTD was through a letter in the mail. Wow. Or, uh, Hey, we got the results. Can you come into the office? We'd like to talk to you. Review it. See any resources we could provide you on this devastating, debilitating disease that no one has ever heard of. And what do you, I mean, you're already lost enough Yes. Is the family of what do you do? But what do you do when it's a letter in the mail? I mean, wow. And the fact though, that your family has gone through this and in such a devastating way and with both your grandma and your mom, that can just knock you out. Like, I don't want to do anything anymore. I just Mm got to get by. But the fact that you have now created a foundation (laughs) to channel like I don't know, your grief and your healing from it's just such a powerful thing that I don't think that we talk about enough is that resiliency mm-hmm. in these situations. Like that's just really amazing that you are even talking to us and spending the time to like raise awareness because that's, that's enough to get you just knocked off your feet. Well, I think the reality of it was, and I mean, I definitely, after my mom passed, I moved to California and I spent a year or two just forgetting, just 
you know, forgetting everything, enjoyed some sunshine, probably enjoyed a little too many cocktails, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but then the reality was my story is not just my story. It belongs to hundreds of thousands of other people that while they might've not gotten a letter in the mail, they still had that, where do we go from here Mm -hmm. moment? And I just, I couldn't shake who my mom was and I wasn't doing her justice or honor by just moving on with my life, you know, cause that's not what my mom would have done. She would have tried to help other people um, because I can't, I can't bring my mom back, but nobody should get a letter in the mail. Nobody should get a copy of a copy of some, you know, support group or the Alzheimer's Association, even though it's FTD and say, give them a call, they can help you, which I've also heard, I'm sure you guys have heard every story under the, under the sun of what happens after somebody's diagnosed. And I just, that, that beginning is hard. And I just, I, I, I hit a point one day that I just needed to do something about it. So it wasn't immediate. I definitely had some fun for a few years. Moved to Italy, moved to California. Did oh, all the oh, Italy. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should have done that, Maria. Yeah, seriously. Jeez. I was like having a baby, like just becoming a caregiver for another person. Like, yeah. wow. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. My name is Laurette Clear. I'm an educator, dementia practitioner, and the founder of Nana's Books. My thoughtfully curated collection of books with over 25 different titles has a little something for everyone. A caregiver remarked recently that these books are the Swiss army knives of engagement because they do it all in any stage. These happy, inclusive books center on the passages of life and simple pleasures that are timeless, relatable, and generative. The books consider layout, predictable format, oversized fonts, and nostalgic images Bring back connection, one page at a time. For more information, go to nanasbookseries.com and browse the collection, which is linked with one click to Amazon. Dear families and caregivers, you are seen, you are heard, and we are here to bring you hope and relief. My name is Betsy, daughter and caregiver to my late mother and now founder of for their thoughts foundation to bring hope and relief to families today we must all rethink what we understand how we care and how we act about dementia in our inaugural care for their thoughts benefit event on saturday april 30th guests will have the opportunity to experience dementia walk in a caregiver's shoes and recognize their own brain health through our interactive exhibits All event proceeds will bring direct financial relief and resources to families caring for their loved ones through our Care for the Caregivers Relief Grant. The event will take place from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. in Carlsbad, California. For tickets, information, or ways to support, please visit us at www.fortherthoughts.org or on Instagram at fortherthoughts. And we're back. So let's get into your mom, Mary, nurse, amazing mom to five kids. Where should we begin? What do you want people to know about your mom? 
I think the most important thing to know about my mom, I'll start with that and work backwards, is while she was a nurse, her title was mom with a capital M. She was a surgical nurse before five children, you know, entered the picture. And then she was a stay-at-home mom for a while. And then when I was in the third grade, we were all old enough that she was going crazy and she needed something more than us. And so she became the school nurse. And I, on a side note, loved it. You would think that your mom in the same school as you, you wouldn't like, but I loved my mom. I really, I really did. <laughs> I, school nurse. I oh. thought it was so cool that I can, you know, you're walking down the hallway in line with your class and I didn't get in trouble for getting out of line, give my mom a big kiss. And, you know, after lunch, I could drop my lunchbox off in her office because my mom was tired of getting moldy lunchboxes at the end of the week because I would notoriously never bring them home. (laughs) That's so sweet. And my mom was, she was the band nurse for when my sister was in band. She was soccer nurse. And, you know, when my brother was playing rugby, I remember someone dislocated his shoulder and he came over, Mrs. Hall can you help me (laughs) on the sidelines? And she was just, she was mom to everybody. My, my granddad used to, my, my dad's dad used to always look at us and be like, you know, your mother has six kids. And then he would point to my dad as the sixth Mm -hmm. one, but she was that person that knew what you needed before you knew Mm -hmm. what you needed. I love that she integrated herself and her passion of being a nurse into your guys's life. That is, I've never thought to do that. Not that I'm a nurse, but it's, that's really cool. Yeah. I never thought about it that way either, but you're absolutely right. And it worked out great. Her being a nurse meant that the school nurse meant that she also had the same hours as us. So Mm -hmm. she didn't have to kind of figure out that balance as well. And she had the summers off when we were home. So it just ended up working out, you know, really, really well. And I mean, everybody loved her. She was a cool nurse. So (laughs) you want to go home? Okay. We'll call your mom. Yeah. (laughs) Can I ask? So you said that your mom kind of knew what you needed before. Like you knew you needed anything. How do you go on after that? Like, how are you coping with that? Just not having that in your life. No, that's, that's a good question. And, and I think it hit harder than I think any of us realized it. Because my mom was the keystone of that family, my family kind of fell apart after my mom died. We, and it doesn't help that geographically we're all spread apart right now as well. We, five of us live in five different states, but we didn't have that person to go back to. And it did, it did create, and it still does, we're not perfect. It creates a lot of bickering between my family, my siblings and I, that probably wouldn't have happened. And, you know, cause I'll be fighting with somebody and we're like, man, if mom was around, she would have just put us, she, cause she's really good at putting us in our place. Like my mom saw what we needed, but she, that meant she also didn't spoil us, mm. you know? Well, they say that when we've talked to like psychologists, therapists about this, that when there's someone in the family that's holding it all together and they can no longer perform that role, everything shifts in the family dynamic. And it is such a common theme in so many conversations that we have with caregivers. Unfortunately, it's not something that 
a lot of times people want to talk about on the podcast mm-hmm. because it's a little uncomfortable. But Family I, dynamics are hard. I, yeah, but I appreciate that you me too, me too. say that because everyone can relate to that. I am one of four. Mm-hmm. My mom was the corner. Like she was the glue. Yeah. And I get it. And it's just everything shifts. And and I ask you the question of like, how do you how do you go on when you don't have that person that had such an important role? And I've said like last night, like my guiding light, like she showed me the way. And I ask you because I don't know yet for myself how Yeah. And I think listening to you say that, I think for their thoughts foundation is my outlet. You know, because you're right. I don't have, it's weird. Like I kind of have this weird picture in my head that the, where the family family used to be in this kind of, you know, bobble that we are now and we're getting better. I don't want to say that my family's, you know, completely broken now that it's been several years, we are much closer with each other and we lean on each other a lot more, but there's still not that centerpiece keeping us together. And how do I fill that gap? I don't think any of us knew how, and we all figured out our own way. And mine was this foundation. That's how I could help my mom and help, you know, the future and help my siblings because my mom and my grandmother had it. Let's be realistic about this. (laughs) Totally. Wow. I love that you are so open about this side of it, because a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm just getting through the days. Like, you're like, no, I didn't oh, get through I'm the not days. Just, I did not. I moved. <laughs> I had to get away. I went to Italy. Yeah. Right. Like you, I appreciate Holes. the fact that, yeah, seriously, that you took care of yourself. Like, okay, I'm done being her caregiver. I'm done being involved in this. And I need now a form of self-preservation and people don't talk about that. People yeah. think like, oh, maybe I'm sound selfish because I didn't know like you, you did the hard hell. work. Yeah. And <laughs> yes. now it's time. It was a selfish decision and it was, and you know, it, not everybody in my family was happy about my decision to move to California. We've all made amends about it, but it was a selfish decision and I did have some guilt with it and I still have a little bit of guilt, but I think I've gotten over it because I realized, like you said, like I needed to do it. I also don't think for the thoughts foundation would have happened if I had not taken that time for myself, if I had not gone to sunny California and then to beautiful Italy. And in Italy is actually when it happened. I like woke up one day and I was like, I was training for this race. I'm, I'm a big runner. And I was like, you know, life is amazing. Life is really freaking good right now, but everything I'm doing is for myself. And I just woke up and I mean, I lived, I lived in Naples, Italy and Mount Vesuvio where, you know, Pompeii, that one. So I lived there and I used to do, or somebody had, I hadn't done it yet. Somebody had told me like, you know, a good training run would be running up Mount Vesuvius. So I just got up on and I went on Facebook and I made this grand proclamation that I was going to run to the top of the volcano every week until I raised a hundred thousand dollars for FTD. I ended up adjusting that to (laughs) (laughs) $10,000. You always keep it real. (laughs) I love that. That's so good. I was like, no one's going to go back and watch that original video. No one's going to know that I originally said a hundred. It's fine. It's just on the podcast. It's fine. (laughs) But it's the truth. Good for you. Yes. 
Wow. And I did for an entire year. And it was so cool because I ran that every Tuesday and people joined and we would run it or we would walk it. And at the top, you would share stories of what you're, you know, how you've been affected by dementia, whether it was vascular, Alzheimer's, Lewy bodies, whatever it was. And we would run up to it, plan to get up there at sunset and then try to get back down as quickly as possible because now it was dark. And, you know, in the whole year, I think I ran it by myself twice because somebody always wanted to join and it was really cool. And that's what started it. But I wouldn't have gotten there if I hadn't taken the time for myself first. That is a very good Um, lesson to bestow upon our listeners. Thank you. (laughs) I think I'm also going to move to Italy. Bye guys. (laughs) (laughs) Bye family. Yeah. Sorry, Max and Jack. I love you, but I got to go. Oh yeah. I think it's, um, first of all, thank you for sharing that second, like the grandness of it is so simple. Does that make sense? Like you're like, I'm just running and sharing how I'm feeling like whoever wants to join, join. Yeah. And you were never alone. Yeah. Minus two, but (laughs) that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I hope that you like can step back and see the impact. Uh, whoever Giorgio in Italy maybe has a different <laughs> life because of the trail run with you. Like that's really cool. That's so cool. Yeah, and yeah. I'm I'm really grateful for it. And once a year there was the the NATO base puts on like an actual race up Vesuvius, and so when that came the first year, everybody's like, "Well, Betsy, you're already writing it every Tuesday. Are you going to put a team together?" And I was like, "All right, sure." So we did, and then there was like I don't know ten of us on the team, and then the next year twenty some, and then the last year I wasn't going to do it because by then I wasn't running it weekly anymore. I met my goal, and I was you know running up a volcano every single Tuesday. Starts to starts to get old. It's gonna wear on you a little bit. It's gonna wear on you. Yeah. And I was moving home to the U.S. on October, I think it was 21st, and the race was October 20th. And I'm like, I'm not organizing a race the day before I'm supposed to leave the country. But so many people were reaching out like, hey, are we doing it again? Are we doing it again? So I moved my flight a day. And what I did is I asked everybody for donations. And then all the money went to the Bluefield Project for research for FTD is because for the Thoughts Foundation, there wasn't a nonprofit at that point. Mm -hmm. And so all the money went to research and we had 50 plus people join the Beat Dementia team that year. And it was awesome. It was, it was, I couldn't have asked for a better way to be like my last day. And then I'm like, okay, I got to go pack. I got to go move. (laughs) I'm moving my whole life back over. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Bye, Giorgio. Yeah. So anyways. Amazing. What do you think your mom would think of that? Yeah. I think she would have been proud. That's hard for me to actually say with not like I'm literally closing my eyes right now because (laughs) it like makes me embarrassed. But yeah, she would have she would have told people about it. You know, and, and there was many times when I was over in Italy, it was hard because my mom would have visited me. You know, mm-hmm. my mom would have been there. And I'm sure you guys can both understand. You always have those moments of like, ah, like mom should be here for this. Dad should be here for this. Yeah, yeah. totally. They don't go away. Very often. I yeah. wish somebody would have told me that. Like you, I mean, you're further removed from the disease yeah. than we are. And there are days where I'm like, God, I just wish I could talk to my dad about this. Yeah. I just have one question. Like, how do you list a home? 
Like I need to know, how do you plant a rose bush? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not an adult. Like, please help me. But it is so important to like share that with other people on the journey. Cause like, I think the more we have open conversations about this kind of stuff of like, it's really hard when you have big milestones and I don't know, it just makes it a little bit easier. You know, I had someone tell me once that I had, he, he lost both his parents, not, not to dementia, but he lost both of his parents when he was in his twenties. And when my mom was, had FTD, I hadn't lost her yet, but I, as you know, you start losing the person uh, at diagnosis. And I was like, how do you, how do you deal with this? Like, I don't, I don't even know what to do. And he said, the void never goes away. You just learn to embrace the void and know that it's become part of you. And you learn to love despite the void. And I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it was it Giorgio from Italy? (laughs) (laughs) It might've been Alfredo. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. This isn't on the sheet, but I do want to ask, what did your mom's love feel like? Oh God. A blanket. Like that is a nice weighted comfy blanket or no, it would be knitted. It would definitely be a knitted blanket, but on it, that's the first, it it was just secure. It was there, you know? Um, If I could actually tell my favorite story about my mom. Yes, please. please. That probably answers that question as well is because I really think it captures the essence of my mom. And I actually was just telling this story the other day because it really is my favorite is so when I was in college, I studied abroad in England and I was 20 years old. I turned 21 over there. And as you know, drinking age is 18. So turning 21 is pretty anticlimactic over there. <laughs> I really tried to make a big deal out of it. And of all the Brits were like, go away, go away. Yeah. So anyways, so I was over there for about nine months or so. Fast forward to me coming home. And I was pretty bummed because by then, you know, I'm like 20 years, 21 years old, like living in England, love my life, didn't want to come home to Pittsburgh. <laughs> and so, and I had a seven hour layover in Chicago and I'm just like, well, this is not going to be fun. So I, I land in Chicago and this is before smartphones. And so I turned on my US phone for the first time in nine months that's been off and I do the 411 number to call Verizon to get it going again. And then this is when you call to actually get your voicemails and you, it's like still a little bit of a mystery. Right. Yeah, totally. Who's calling? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going, you know, I'm like delete seven, delete seven. And I'm hitting, going through that. And then I get to the, the newest ones and it's my mom. And my mom's like, hi, Betsy. I just wanted you. I know that this move home was really hard for you. And I wanted you to see a familiar face. And so I wanted to surprise you and be in Chicago when you land it. But as the normal, it's raining in Pittsburgh and it's delayed and I'm sitting on the plane. And if you're listening to this, obviously you've landed already, but hopefully I'll see you in Chicago soon. Oh my God. I'm going to cry. And so I just start bawling my eyes out and I go, I go to the bathroom and I take out all these paper towels and I write a welcome to Chicago sign. And I sit there probably for hours and until my mom's flight finally gets in and all she has is a purse because she literally booked a flight to get to Chicago, 
if we had time, we were going to go and like see Chicago for five minutes and then get right back on a plane. But she didn't want me to be alone when I arrived back in the U.S. And so when she got there, she looked at me and she goes, well, we have just enough time for me to buy you your first legal beer in America. Stop it. And I have no words. <laughs> she bought me a beer and we got on a plane. We we're back to Pittsburgh. Oh my God. Is she super mom? She really is. Oh my <laughs> I need to step up my game big Mary. time. Mary. I, I know Mary now. I know her through yep. that story. Yep. That is, I mean, so that's, that's like I magic. I love, I love that. I mean, it captures the essence of her kind of saying, like, she knew what you needed before you knew she was that person that just was there for you, you know, and she was a nurse, but she was a mom with a capital M. Wow. That story could be on an episode of friends. Like (laughs) it's so good. So good. I was going to say like, how do you think she'd want to be remembered? But I just feel like that's how she'd want to be remembered. (laughs) Like that is. Oh, that is actually, that was going to be the answer to that. So can you tell us what you have to read of your mom's words? Yeah. So what I have, and it was a little bit of a struggle and some of it was to do with the fact that my mom did pass a while ago and with PPA, I mean, her writing stopped back in 2007, which was quite a while ago. And we had cards and I talked to my siblings and this email that I have from her from when I was in college it's nothing fancy, but I've read it over and over again. And it's just, it's just my mom. So I won't read the whole thing. I'm going to read the beginning and end of it. Hey, Bets, it's just mom saying hi. Before I go out in the 80 degree weather and finish weed whacking the office, it's a mess. I can't take it any longer. How are things? Anything new at work? Not much here. And then she goes into, she updates me about my little sister at Robert Morris and, you know, how she's doing and has some comments about Heidi procrastinating and missing things and not surprised there. And then she talks about my oldest sister, Megan and Chris, how they're moving back to Virginia and she was over there helping. I was going to go with them, but dad wasn't in the best of moods. So I'll go back this weekend and finish helping. And then she just ends it and she just goes through the updates of everybody ends it. Well, I guess the grass won't cut by itself. I keep looking out, but nothing has happened. So I guess I better get to work. Talk to you later. Love you, Miss You, Mom. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can learn more about Remember Me at RememberMeFTD.com or by following us on Instagram at RememberMePodcast. We release new episodes each week on Tuesdays, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can learn more information about our sponsors in the show notes and on our Instagram. This podcast is produced by Maria Kent Beers and Rachel Martinez, and the beautiful music you hear is a song called So Damn Lucky by Bailey Kent.